Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 97, chasing at the heels of Lucky Podcast 100. Not even a few minor technical glitches can prevent Graham McMillan and I from giving you two hours of funny book babble speak. Once again, we bend it like Bendis and start the comic talk super early, discussing the heyday of the Incredible Hulk and the appeal of her trivia. Other topics include four panels that never work, the Fantastic Four that may no longer work, the Marvel Now announcements, the second Walking Dead lawsuit, the importance of being dread, Joss Whedon, Archer and Armstrong, Godland issue 36, the sublime Bakuman volume 13, and a DC Marvel crossover that very well may blow your mind, as well as a visit from our good old buddy, much, much more. As is the standard, you can find show notes over at savagecritic.com, and if you find the time and would like to leave us a review on iTunes, we would be very, very grateful. And, as always, thanks for listening. Hi there. I hope, and I know you won't, but I hope that you'll leave in that every single time you call and I answer, there's always like a thud on your end of the line for some reason. <laughs> yeah, is it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's me moving the uh, the microphone from the uh, little side desk to the main desk. I, I just love that it. It, it always is like, pick up, and then it goes, boom, boom. <laughs> this one was pretty bad, even for me. I'm like, uh, fumbling with things. And... <laughs> Hi, how so, are you? I, I, am, I am very good. I am, of course, late again. But the worst part is I don't really even have my plethora of usual excuses. It was just... You're just late. I'm just late. Yeah, that is it. <laughs> Thanks for dressing that up for me, Graham. I... <laughs> That's fine. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I have read zero new comics this week. Oh, that is okay, because if you've read some older comics, and uh, I definitely I definitely have brought the pain, as they say. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad about the, the pain being brought. I have read older comics. I've read lots of um, Marvel Season 1 graphic novels this week. Really? Huh. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what put me onto that particular tip, as the kids say. Uh, but Portland yeah, I, I, Library, I'm assuming? or Oh, of course, Portland Library. Course. I, I, you think I'm going to pay money for those things? <laughs> uh, and I've also read lots of Essential Hulks. Ooh, I'm really envious on that front. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, be Jeff. Yeah, no, I've been Spoiler, meaning to reread them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, no, because no. I'm talking the later volumes. Oh, the later volumes. I'm okay. talking like volumes five and six. With, uh, what's, what are the numbers on – what are the issue numbers on? Uh, it's like 180 through 220. Okay. I kind of love 180 through 200, maybe even a little higher – and a little earlier than that, which is the the prime Trimpy years, like yeah, yeah, whole... Trimpy mm-hmm. drops off like midway through volume five and is replaced by uh, Sal Bashema. Exactly. And so be- for for my money, that's an improvement. I always think that I'm going to have one of these. Now that I'm older and have more refined tastes, I'll understand what Trimpy was doing. He's doing a Kirby influence. I will analyze that. And, you know, intellectually, I get all of that. And then I look at it, I'm like, but it's still ugly work. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I totally see your point. And as a kid, I remember being sort of genuinely repelled by... (laughs) Trimpy's work, like no joke. Like I don't know if this has this ever happened to you. Do, I, may, I I feel my brain is dead. I know I've discussed this in other contexts, but like when you were really young, when you got sick, did your parents bring you like 
comic books to read while you were like in uh, recovering? Uh, no, no more so than they did other times. That's not true. They did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't bring me American comics. They'd bring me like what was available at British news agents, which would very often be the humor comics like Wizard and Chips and, and Buster. Right, right. Uh, not so much the the comics I wanted to read, for want of a better way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know what was up with uh, my parents. I think they were actually geniuses that this was some subliminal process. Uh, but when I would get deathly sick, they would get me comics and inevitably skewed way, way, way more onto the monster side of things. So there's like three or four times where I was completely ill and con- as a consequence, have completely feverish memories of like this one issue of Jack Kirby's The Demon, this one issue of Lois Lane, which has a dark side cameo, uh, and uh, the the issue where Betty Ross is turned into the harpy, which is drawn by Herb Trimping. I mean, oh I, no, yeah, that's. If that's not in Volume 5, then I have the strange feeling it might be in Volume 4, which I read recently as well. Yeah, it must be in 4. Because considering they're covering about 20 issues at a, at a go, um, I think I want to say that that was uh, one, either 169 or 167 was, uh, was the Harpy, which is I – I apologize in advance for the listener who was um, – who pointed out that that Englehart was working on it during that run? Because now that we're considered to be the crazed Englehart completists, I think on, on, of podcasting, um, people are you know s- sensibly chastising us for not covering certain eras. So in theory, someone really recently mentioned the exact number, but all I can remember is is how incredibly sick I was, and I had eaten something like like. A bad good humor ice cream bar, ironically enough, uh, too. And so I, I literally cannot remember some of those images without feeling a queasy and having a crap, a taste of crap, waxy chocolate in the back of my throat that's just like, ugh. But, you know, that's the great thing. The older and more jaded you are, you're like, just let me feel anything, Jesus. Get me, just haul up the Herb Trimpy comics, you know? I mean, one of the things that's great about Trimpy, I will say, one, a, a, his stuff is ugly. I think he's a guy who, like, you know, I'm totally talking out of my butt here because I don't – I haven't followed his – any sort of biographical articles about him. But he's a dude who clearly had trouble making the monthly deadlines. You see some amazing shortcuts in Herb Trimpy's uh, Hulk work. Um, but also he – I feel like he was one of those guys like, you know, almost like Don Heck, who had to try and figure out how to Kirbyize up his work. Yeah, and he went way too far. Way too far. Like, just kind of it, to an insane kind, it's, level. It's a weird yeah. Kirby I, pastiche. But I dig it. I dig it. I, well, I, that's why I think I should like it now. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I look at it and I'm like, individually on a panel... You know, on a panel by panel thing, I'm like, there's things I like about that panel. I can see the Kirby influence. I can see how he's taken it yeah. further. I should like this. And then, honestly, every single issue, I'm like, I feel like I'm struggling to finish this damn comic. No, I totally when, get it. Yeah. When Sam Shaman takes over, honestly, it becomes so much easier for me to just read the oh, comic. Oh, it does. It's it's literally, I mean, it's it's it becomes a pleasing comic. I mean, you know, visually pleasing. A little too much so. I mean, if you kind of think about it, I mean, there's kind of that period where 
between, be, you know, sort of between Basima Dry and, and like I said, I do love that work and like Len Wein writing it, you know, the Hulk moves a little too heavy on the bathos of mice and men, you know, stroking the bunny after it's dead kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. There, there's, there's, there's just some amazing stuff there where you're reading it and you're like, I can't believe people actually got away with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, which is and, great. And some of the Hulk dialogue is mm-hmm. just beautiful in its horrifically overwrittenness. Like, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, but when Avengers Assembled, the, the um, Bendis comic came out, I, I was like, the Hulk's not a consistent speech pattern. What the hell? And then you read all these old Hulk comics and you're like, oh, that's because he really doesn't have a consistent speech pattern back here either. He's oh. either a child or he can do incredibly complex sentences as long right. as he replaces personal pronouns with the word Hulk. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which, which again, is kind of, it is fair. But yeah, no, I... So... And that's my thing is, is, is like as much as I, and I do, I have huge fondness for the Wayne Basima stuff and honestly kind of slightly skeeve out sort of thing by the, you know, Trimpy and whoever was working through him, which I think was like Thomas Gerber, maybe Conway and then some Wayne. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, Engelhart, that's really, yeah, Engelhart's yes. in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did I not say him? Fuck, that's the um, guy I knew. There's uh, Conway Thomas. Yeah, Len Wein starts before that. There's a really weird period where it's, period where it's Len Wein, Trimpy, and Joe Staten inking. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which See, is just that's... this really odd combination. And it doesn't last that long because mm-hmm. Buscema comes on really soon after Staten. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you've got sort of this wonderful Bishama. And then Ernie Chan comes on as anchor. Yes. And that's why, I mean, it blows my mind, honestly. The, but that's why I was going to say the Basima Ween, uh, Ernie Chan stuff, it's almost, it's almost like the Hulk is like a lost Harvey character. You know what I mean? He's like a green, crazed, like little Lulu or no, 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 a uh, little dot. You know, or who's who's the big one, um, you know, with the blonde? I, I honestly have no idea, but I, I simultaneously can and can't see what you're saying, which is what makes it so funny to me. I'm like, of course, you're fucking insane. <laughs> it's totally true. It's that. God, who? what was the name of that blonde one? Is it Little... Little Lenya? Little Lenya? <laughs> Little Lenya sounds like, I, you know, Harvey Comics is saying something about a Russian gymnast. Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I don't know. I will look it up. Of course, this is the great thing about talking to you with this microphone cock-blocking my access to, to the netbook is I'm just like, I can't even look it up. I, I should know that. I could describe her like in a police lineup. I could. Is, is it a Harvey Comics character? Thing. It is totally a Harvey Comics character. She's the blonde one with the bow in her hair who's like the big strapping moose type. She's pretty much like you could swap issues Little Audrey. No, Little little Audrey? Little Lotta? Yeah, Little Lotta. There we go. Okay. Little Lotta, of course. Mother of God, I've just looked up Little Lotta. Uh, everyone who's listening to this, if you haven't already, Wikipedia Little Lotta and just look at the image they've chosen for Little Lotta. Oh, really? Oh, oh well, it's the cover of Little Lotta number eight, mm-hmm. which, e- e- wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds really promising. I'm trying to open up my it's, browser it's, now. It's just this. It's Little Lotta with 
a massive ice cream cone. Or rather, a, an ice cream cone with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 uh, scoops of ice cream on top of it. <laughs> Walking away uh, as it drips from the ice cream man, who is, of course, super skinny because little Loda is not skinny. That's the joke. Waka waka. Uh, just looking after her, like, oh dear. It's the, like this terrible, terrible, and yet beautifully drawn image. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds like the little Lotta that oh, I... Oh my god, and her full name was Lotta Plump. Really? Yeah. Really? Comics? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 that is comics. Oh, come on. For God's sakes. Sometimes I hate touchscreen so much. Oh, that is... Yes, I don't know why they're dressing her like... Uh, no, exactly. Like, that outfit is stunning, right? Yeah, but it's not... It's not... It's, I it's, guess it's her it's early like, appearance. It's like Minnie Mouse. Yeah, like Minnie She's, Mouse meets Ronald McDonald. They they yeah. went on to keep the yellow, but they changed the red to green. Here's, okay, here's something fascinating if you read on. Uh, upon Harvey's return in 1986, a proposed idea was to have Lotta return as the drummer of a rock band with Little Audrey on guitar and Little Dot on vocals. Wow. That would be awesome. Sadly, that was shelved. That would have been great, though. Yeah, that would have been great. And in no way influenced by jo- Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, yeah, now it would be fantastic. Now it's practically de rigueur. Hey, can I talk about, before we move into some other stuff and maybe get back to Herb Trimpey, some crazy old comic thing that has brought been brought to my attention, and I'm yes, totally sorry this, if this is something no, that you let, know about. Let's go because this is totally going to be one of those scatter podcasts. Yes, do totally. it, Jeff. So I had a friend who who is an actual friend lend me, which is to say, sent me the CBR file of um, Aquaman number fifty six, and this friend, my friend John, who uh, Gersten, who I have lunch with all the time, and and uh, you know, we basically always end up talking comics, like eternally. Aquaman fifty six, as in like uh, the original Aquaman fifty six, or like the the nineteen nineties one, or no, yeah, sorry, no, this is Aquaman number fifty six, the original with a fifteen cent cover from uh, March April nineteen seventy one. Uh, Jim Aparo art inked by Dick Giordano. Oh wait, is Steve Skeets writing that? Is that yes. like right in the? Oh man, that's a great period of Aquaman, my friend. Oh look at you, Mister Aquaman savvy. Well then, I've got a chance here, maybe blowing your tiny mind, Graham. Let's see if please, I can pull this do. off. So he and and I'm not sure to what extent John was being disingenuous. He was very much like, you should really read this. You should really read this. I'm going to send you the file and and you should really read it because it's just it's it's issue 56. It's the creature that devoured Detroit. Exactly, exactly. So okay, you can't read any farther because I don't. I'm not. Get, I'm not. I'm just, I just I just was looking up because I was like, is that really the Steve Skeeter? Which is because I've not read. I just know that's supposedly awesome, right? Well, is yeah. That, this that is not it. like the era that people are like. That's when Aquaman was actually cool, not Jeff John's cool. Yeah, no, and that's it. I mean, and it's kind of this thing where my friend John was like, I'm really enjoying this stuff. I mean, part of it is the Aparo uh, art, which he just thought was amazing. The covers, which are just astonishing, which I think some of them are Nick Cardi covers, I think. Um, But he's just like, yeah, they're just incredibly dynamic. But he was also very impressed with like this issue of Aquaman in particular. What he liked is... Aquaman was more or less depowered, you know, like he can swim, uh, you know, there's no point at any opportunity here where he actually has a chance to communicate with fish uh, and the rest. But the rest of the time, like he's he's just very much human powered. OK, stupid 
now the pages aren't turning on me. Sometimes I hate first generation iPads so much. <laughs> that, hi, first world problems. I, I damn it. Sometimes this is... I hate those first generation iPads. I know, I knew, I knew Such I was setting got a retina display. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's that the damn page won't turn, for God's sakes. It's like it doesn't, also, it doesn't matter also, which... Jeff, Jeff, think about this right now. You're like, someone sent me the CPR file of Aquaman. The page won't turn. You could also be like, also, it's a bootleg Aquaman comic. Maybe I shouldn't be so grumpy that the page is not turning. Okay, Graham. Here's the thing. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned. Please do. I, I actually and am sort of, when being humiliated in front of thousands of listeners, you know, such in a way that I can't edit things out. I tend to get a little crabby. I admit <laughs> it's not so much that the page won't turn. It's that the page won't turn while I'm motherfucking talking to you, trying to talk about the stuff that I want to say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I got to admit there's a way in which I am, you know, while trying to spread the gospel about this, you know, comic book that is 30 years old, like running into various shenanigans uh, and you're kind of like, well, you know, the great thing, Jeff, is that you're incredibly <laughs> spoiled and people are dying. I, I Well, I'm going to play for time for you, Jeff. Uh, yeah. It's apparently a Nick Cardi cover, as you said. Well, that is good. I uh, appreciate it's that. It's also the last issue of Aquaman for six years. Okay. That makes it even creepier. Okay. Yeah, the title essentially got covered. Uh, cancelled, rather. Yeah. Uh, after that issue, until 1977. So check this out. So it's the last issue of Aquaman. It is the thing that the creature that devoured Detroit. Aquaman is running around. Uh, essentially, they find out that there's this algae that is growing in the lakes of Detroit and overwhelming everything and may sort of be malevolent, although not really. This story is really kind of batshit insane in a very Bob Haney way, but without Haney's sort of dedication to craft, I guess, which is kind of terrifying <laughs> to say that sounds allowed. Um, so Aquaman is supposed to be appearing on what, what is clearly supposed to be the, the Johnny Carson program and instead uh, runs off, um, jumps in the water and then, you know, swims to Detroit. Now, there's meanwhile, in Detroit, there is a hero called the Crusader, who you actually get a four page action sequence where he beats all these dudes up. Um, Aquaman arrives, basically asks for directions because the an ex-cop that he knows uh, who's retired from the force and is turned scientist might be able to help him figure out the mystery of the reason why this allergy is growing 24, 24 hours a day. And this is, the allergy is mentioned first. What's the mentioned- allergy. Al the, no, algae. The okay. algae, sorry. The algae is mentioned first. What's mentioned two pages later is the fact that Detroit, even though the sun is setting, is covered in daylight 24 hours a day. Um, because, even though the sun is setting. Yes, because what is happening is a satellite, up, an unknown satellite up in space is using mirrors to reflect the sunlight from, from the sun onto Detroit during the night so that they're essentially blanketed in a perpetual day. As a result of this, the chlorophyll-based algae in the lakes are going crazy and beginning to run rampant and maybe even turn intelligent. Um, this sounds so, like the greatest thing ever. It is. It's 
it's and so timely too in a way actually because <laughs> i'm like oh yeah this this story is totally hilarious until unless you believe in climate change and you know in which case you're like it's horrifically prescient and hilarious so because aquaman of course goes to the ex-cop who's run who's now a research scientist who pretty much admits that he's the dude who has put the uh satellite up in the air and and it's like and it's essentially to get rid of to help fight crime because crime's biggest ally is darkness so by shining oh a li- shining sunlight so, so Detroit, is like why did i never think about this i'm an idiot i'm such an idiot what i need to do is project sunlight 24 hours a day and and Aquaman, of course, has some great panels where he looks completely appalled and like, this is totally crazy. This is some sort of disastrous joke. You know, I came to hoping you could help me do something about the satellite. And I find out that you're behind it, you know, and it's like, don't you realize what you're doing? And the guy's like, sure, crime's down. It's great. And he's like, no, to the lake, to the city. And and his friend's like, what are you, some kind of pinko? You know, so... Oh, DC Comics of the late 60s, early 70s. Seriously. Awesome. So there's like this door behind which you like Aquaman using his miracle aqua powers of like, you know, where's the satellite control panel? The guy's like, I'm not going to tell you. He's like, how about that room over there? I'll just check it out. And the guy's like, stay away from that room. And he's like, thank you for confirming my suspicions. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Hey, what's in that room over there? So what Aqu- would happen if I press this button? Exactly. Don't do that. You know. So anyway, Aquaman manages to beat up two scientists, but then gets his ass kicked by two security guards who go out and leave him out on a bench somewhere. Like they're just like, oh, like let's dry him out. No, I, that would be awesome. But no, 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 no. They're like, should I call the police, sir? Have this man arrested? And the crazy scientist dude slash ex cop is like, no, I couldn't do that. He's a friend. Just get him out of here. Just take him to the park and drop him on a bench. So, <laughs> and then as they're taking him out, he's thinking and he's like, hmm, once he comes to, he'll be back. Maybe he'll call in the Justice League, have them destroy the satellite. But while it's still up there, there's time for one more mission. And sure enough, the ex-police guy is in fact the Crusader who wears an outfit that kind of looks like D-Man from the, you know, Marvel uh, and the great thing is he's in the process. He didn't tell Aquaman his big secret, which is his eyesight is getting bad. It's He's about to go blind and it's so bad he can't fight crime at night. So this is part of why he's been beaming sunlight into Detroit 24 hours a day. Because his kind of sh- eyesight's bad. I'm kind of shocked that Jeff Johns is not doing this story in Aquaman now. No, he would never do it. the story in Aquaman now because Aquaman gets his ass kicked by two security guards. Oh, that yeah, would that great. would never happen now. No, I know. But like two but- security guards would have to come in in like armor. Yeah, exactly. They'd have to be robo golems. But between the mixture of Detroit, um, a crazy superhero doing something wrong, and Aquaman being self-righteous, you think they'd be all over it. So anyway, so... So Aquaman wakes up by the lake and in time to see a wave of algae attacking this young girl. So he has to rescue her. Um, and then, oh God, please keep turning. Uh, there's this great, he basically comes across after saving her, is trying to alert, alert everyone and sees a crowd and the crusader is dead. 
He's like this guy who was up running across the roofs to fight crime and actually tripped and fell to his death. So Aquaman comes across. Yes. So there's the crusader lying dead on the ground with this crowd like surrounding him. And it's great. The chapter title for this is called No Blaze, No Glory. So, (laughs) Oh, man. This does sound like almost Bob Haney-esque genius. Oh, it does. It totally does. So, so. They strip the mask off the Crusader. Nobody recognizes him except for Aquaman, who's like, oh, my God, it seems impossible. Don was the Crusader, and now he's dead. Don't understand much of this, but I know what my next move must be. So he goes back into the lab, punches out the security guard, punches both scientists, breaks into the secret room with the satellite controls, locks the door, and while everyone's trying to knock it down, Aquaman is like, don't know what will happen to me once that door's down, but that's hardly important now. This is the control panel. Now, where's... Ah, here's the button I was looking for. And then he presses the destruct button, and then the last panel of the story is uh, the satellite up in space blowing up. So you, that's, that's how That's the last panel of the story. Yeah. And so the last thing Aquaman says in the story, before his comic is cancelled for seven years, is, don't know what's going to happen to me now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don't, he goes, don't, don't know how the power, Don Powers I just met would have felt, but I do know how the Don Powers I used to know would want would, what he would want me to do. And he presses the distract button. The satellite blows up. And then there's a two-page Aqua Girl story that is not really a story that makes me suspect his original ending got totally cut and rewritten. Um, but are you ready for the mind-blowing part? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I thought it was the mind-blowing part because, Jeff, that was pretty fucking mind-blowing. It was pretty mind-blowing. The story continues in okay. the Savage Submariner issue 72. Which no, which is the last issue of Submariner of that run. It gets canceled. It is the 1974 issue scripted by Steve Skeets. No, yeah, it's a story <laughs> called from, "From the Void It Came," and it starts off with um, Submariner in his you know his awesome you know underwater arm you know, leisure wear outfit, you know, the outfit. Uh huh. Yeah, no, I totally know. Blue and gold one. Right. So he's like basically swimming around in the water and he's like the air sweep Neptune. It is polluted as the sea, you know? So he's like flying, he's swimming. Meanwhile, in space, there's this alien life form that's passing through the, the, our, our Milky, our Milky way, our solar system affixes, on an artificial satellite, this green glob, and it works its way inside the thing. It's like an intelligent, semi-intelligent blob, or maybe it is fully intelligent. And it's like, then curious, it enters the man-made capsule to explore among the computers that click with cacophonous tedium. Meanwhile, back on Earth, and it shows a close-up of a blue-gloved hand, and the thought balloon is this is the control panel now where's ah here's the button i was looking for which is aquaman what is aquaman thinking when he pushes the same button marked destruct in the previous story the next panel in the submariner book is the satellite blowing up in space drawn from a different angle what 
What the satellite falls to Earth, lands in the ocean, and begins the green glob begins to merge with the machinery and glow and in, grow into this human shape that then goes out to stumble onto a dock where Submariner's being you know is beating up some guy and essentially gets involved in this very faux Gerber esque story that features a quote from Adolf Hitler and is about the the problems with trying to maintain peace in the world. <laughs> My mind but is blown, Jeff. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it is a Submariner Aquaman crossover that happened like three years apart. Yeah. It, do you want me to blow your mind just a little bit more? Please do. I've just been looking into this. Steve Skeets was not writing Submariner before that issue. Wow. Wow. Yeah. They let him on for that one issue, and he decides to craft an insane, an insane issue. <laughs> that really is. That reads sort, sort of in the same way that Aquaman read, like, bad Bob Haney. This really reads, like, bad Steve Gerber because like Submariner's brooding on the docks and then these two dudes begin to start a fight with him and it's and it literally has a fight of the a picture a full page panel of this one guy kung fuing Submariner in a head in the head underneath a quote from Adolf Hitler and, <laughs> oh my God. and I have to read you the Hitler quote too because it's it's kind of insane um the Hitler quote is Many will be far more ready to take in a pictorial presentation than to read a lengthy piece in writing. The picture, in a shorter time, I would almost say at one blow, furnishes man with an enlightenment which he receives from literature only after tedious reading. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I am serious. And I... I, I... <laughs> okay. We have to stop, Jeff. We can, <laughs> nothing, nothing can follow that. This has been a pretty weird, fucked up week for comics, and yet you have found something from forty years ago that is more fucked up. Yeah, yeah, I know. Isn't that insane? And the thing that drives me crazy is my friend who was like, "Hey, did you read this issue of Aquaman? Did you read the issue of Aquaman?" Because he sent it to me, and I'm like, "Oh fuck, I forgot." So today, in the midst of reading everything else, I had an extra twenty minutes, and I was like, "Okay, I'll read this issue of Aquaman." And I opened the CBR bundle, and I couldn't understand why it was forty pages. Somebody who clearly has caught the connection has, you know, obviously bundled the two issues together, and so it just says Aquaman fifty six in the title. But has both issues, and I'm just like, what kind of weird comics Illuminati is working behind the scenes? Anyway, That's, so that just, is my hat is off to you for for you. sharing that with me. And also, I so want to read both those comics now. It's kind, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. I'm now like, really, holy crap, really? That that's yeah. totally what I want to read. That sounds. So relevant to my interests, Jeff Lester. I can't tell you. <laughs> I would like to become a subscriber to your newsletter. Exactly, Steve Skeets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, what, I remember. Uh, I was not even vaguely aware that Steve Skeets existed until mm -hmm. the comic book artist launched, which was what ninety nine, two thousand, mm -hmm. um, and their first issue had a lot about Steve Skeets on Aquaman, which is wow. why, like, because I've seen pages mm -hmm. from it, but I've never read a full, uh, read a full issue. 
Yeah. Well, that, and the Aparo art is gorgeous. Well, that, that's I mean, why it was really like, you know, just, holy shit, has Ackman ever looked better than Jim Aparo drawing him? And it's one mm-hmm. of those, well, he's not. <laughs> no, he, he really <laughs> hasn't. Aparo's like wavy hair really works underwater. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it all worked. I mean, he's just, I don't know. He's dynamic. He totally sells it. Even in this issue, which has like, like a, an amazing plane for time opening of some dude arguing with his wife and starting to watch the TV and, you know, to watch the faux Johnny Carson on which, you know, um, uh, Aquaman's supposed to be appearing, like is just gorgeous. It's, it's fucking beautiful. Like the, the set design, like I just, apparel is just like one of those dudes who uh, it, with each passing year, I'm kind of more and more in awe of that guy. You know, yeah. Because I mean, when you see more of his work in black and white, I don't know why color seems to flatten it somehow. But when you see him in black and white, you're like, he's he's amazing. Especially yeah. his early work, he's got like amazing Neil Adams, but in a slightly tweaked direction jobs yeah. that are just stunning to see. Yeah, they're absolutely amazing, and and I think I can see what you mean about the color because one of his strengths is uh, he just. He uses those blacks so amazingly well. Like the the folds and clothes, the folds in the clothes on these guys' suits. Admittedly, I assume Giordano's also, you know, um, is inking and probably bringing some of that out. But I, I see it very consistently across Apero's work, no matter who, who's inking him. And he's just, oh. Ah. I, I, was, I was somewhat disillusioned and heartbroken to find out that uh, Dick Giordano was not really inking his own work, like was not inking when he was credited as an inker. Apart oh, from really? like the 80s onwards, it was all ghosted. Oh man, from his studio, huh? Yeah, Jeez. and I was, I don't know, I don't know why I, I'm kind of sad about that, but I really was, I was like, really? Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, in the 80s, mm-hmm. when I was really just becoming aware of like inkers making a difference, the mm-hmm. Dick Giordano was someone who really stood out for me. Yeah. Yeah, me I was too. like, yeah, if he's on there, he's he's doing like it's going to look good. Even if I don't what? like the penciler, I'm probably going to like the the finished work. And he must he must have some standards. I mean, and that's the other thing. One of the things that I love that I remember him saying like more than once is he could never understand why Jim Aparo and Jose uh, Lu- Luis. Garcia? Garcia Lopez. Garcia Lopez. Thank you. Yeah, I'm like, what? You know, Luis Suarez. (laughs) Man, that's nice that I managed to screw that up. All of a sudden, brain went blank. And I'm like, you know, the Atari Force guy. You know, he was just like, (laughs) I don't understand why these guys aren't bigger names. And like, I just don't, because their work is, I think their work is just always stunning. And I have to say, as like a guy with an eye for art, I, I... Totally agree. With oh, he, I, he's definitely right about those. I mean, Garcia Lopez, why Garcia Lopez would never like was massive in the eighties. I know. Completely I don't escapes get me. Completely yeah. escapes me. And apparently, Dick Giordano too, because he was like, "Yeah, put him on stuff," and I think everyone's going to be knocked out. And no, so you know, and it's ironic because in a way, as a result of that, I, you know, he put Lopez on a lot of the um, uh, on, on a lot of the licensing. You know, drawing the character sheets and stuff yeah. and stuff that gets licensed. So there's a real like that kind of as time goes on, like that becomes the stuff that almost sticks in a lot of people's brains, even if they're, you know, either because they weren't reading the comics or as the toys or whatever f- 
take on as much importance as the comics, suddenly it's right there. I'd love to see one day DC put a, a book of Garcia Lopez's work that we haven't seen, if that makes sense. Because I think he did so much for the licensing department that yeah. there's so much that you know maybe appeared on a beach towel or something and nowhere mm-hmm. else. I'd love to see them put out a comprehensive collection yeah. of that work. I think it would be amazing. Yeah, yeah I think so too. Um, well, anyway, so that's my strange story. That, no, I, that, uh, that sounds that sounds incredible. That really does sound spectacular and also one of those things that makes me wish that more of that stuff was reprinted oh yeah oh yeah absolutely well i mean i say oh yeah absolutely but again this is this weird thing of you know our wacky digital age i mean lord only knows how long it would take you know dc to get around to reprinting that issue of aquaman but you know Marvel is so unwilling to reprint anything that hasn't come out in like the last, what, six years, you know, 10 years, I guess, Um, apart from like really early Stan Lee stuff that they will charge an optimum penny for. You'll you'll just never see that. You mean digitally or or at all? Yeah, digitally. No, because their collections, their printed collections are now getting really into like mid to late 70s through early 80s that stuff. is true that is because pretty much because they they've exhausted everything else and so all of a sudden yeah. you, you will get like i mean we have the first 40 issues of west coast avengers on print now i know which is kind of amazing if you think about it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh it's totally amazing it's totally amazing sort of sad that some of that stuff won't be staying in print yeah but it, it's marvel <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Buy it while you can, because that stuff's not going to stay in print at all. Yeah. No, like, they totally can't true. even keep the quote-unquote important stuff in print. Oh, I know. So when yeah. you're like, what's that you're saying? You're doing Steve Englehart's West Coast Avengers? I should get that right now. Or yeah. resign myself to never getting it. Well, or, I mean, there is that thing where there's a lot of that stuff, you know, if you're in tight with your retailer, some of the stuff that's being announced at blowout prices. Yeah, when they liquidize stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to bet that, so again, somebody who was in tight with the retailer probably could have picked up all of those Englehart Captain Americas, which I think have gone out of print now, for something close to a song. But you would have had to be aware that they were around you know, for the last four or five years or whatever. So I don't know. Um, hmm. So uh, do you want to talk about other? I'm like, I can talk about some books from last week and the very few books that I read this week. Talk about your but books can... from last week and this week, Jeff. Let, let's what? be current. And then, cause I, sure? and then I will move on to the crazy news of this week. Because there's, there, well, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, okay. All right. Well, this sounds good. Um so for me, the, the, the best book of the last few weeks, uh, uh, well, it's kind of, it's interesting. You know, it, it's, I have this thing where it's like, hmm, see, this is the, all this, like all the pieces are maneuvering in my brain. I will say that I read uh, Double Barrel Number 3 mm-hmm. uh, today, which was great. It came out last week, but it is. I'm, I I'm completely have... behind then because I don't, I haven't even bought it. Yeah, you should you should pick it up. It's good fun. If nothing else, there is a six-page piece uh, done by Xander Cannon, the master of Feng Shui. That's uh, you know like a, a spoof of Master of Kung Fu on the title, but is an awesome 
feng shui kung fu comic. It's it just manages to pace itself perfectly and get more and more hilarious as it goes. That's six pages in there. He's got a great article about um, everything I learned from storytelling. I learned from Star Wars, which is oh, like, that's, I would love to. Yeah, you would really enjoy that too. Also, a really good piece, like bits that it had me on top of their like usual fantastic, terrific stuff. Um, we've got. Emails in to Top Shelf uh, to to try and get those to get get it covered in our store. So hopefully that'll be something that we'll do. But for those people who are looking for the digital shopping experience, um, I read that and I read the second issue of Amelia Cole, which um, I both liked a lot. Um, like it really sort of seemed to really open up from the original issue. I still have some problems as far as like some of the motivational through line stuff. You know, I kind of wish their their the editor was sort of, um, you know, working Kirkbride and Nave just a little bit stronger as far as some of the character motivations go. Mm-hmm. But it was that was like a good fun issue. That was like a you know like hey this is a good comic that I picked up. You know, like along with the other stuff that I picked up um, over the last couple of weeks, uh, I did finally pick up that. Occupy Riverdale issue uh, of Archie because uh, Giselle from Menage Three um, draws it, and as you know, it's written by uh, uh, Alex, Alex Segura. Segura. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun. I know that Hibbs wasn't as crazy about the story uh, as he was about the art, but honestly, I all things considered, uh, I, considering it's an Occupy storyline. You know, you're not really going to go as far as you would think. There's actually a pepper gas joke that I, I a pepper spray joke that was made that I was kind of shocked no, in, a, in an Archie comic there is so the jughead can be like what flavor you know um, which I thought was kind of brilliant you know but yeah just the fact that they even went there and had the pepper spray joke is kind of yeah that's that's kind of wonderful yeah so but the but again just I'm 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 deeply deeply love Giselle's art I, I saw, I saw gender swapped Archie yeah I saw the preview and the art looked amazing yeah, I, it's I, just... I, say, I get occasional books from Archie. They, they will just mm-hmm. like, have you seen this? Um, I've enjoyed all of them. Like, yeah. there, there's not been one that I've not been like, at the very least, you know, it raises a smile. Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that I, I kind of am like, I'm totally missing out by not reading more of this every single time I read it. Right. You know, it's kind of ironic because uh, on Comixology, I'm, I'm like, I would totally, they somehow always have price split the ones so that the one and this is probably not an accident where the ones that i'm most tempted to buy are pretty much the same price as print and then they'll have some older ones that are at 99 cents and i'm like i don't know i totally see their point but part of me is like Ugh. there are if nothing else i'll be around for the giselle issues um but yeah i kind of feel the same way about archie there's times when it's like i pick it up and i'm flipping through it and i'm like why don't i read this more often and again, when I've got something like the digital subscription to Mad, I find that I do. So I sort of wonder um, if they would consider doing a digital subscription thing for Archie. I Is am that... sure they will because they do the digital subscription for New Crusaders. Yes, exactly. Well, they're trying to really see – I think they're testing waters on that. So it will be interesting to see uh, how successful they get. You know, Certainly some pretty innovative – forward-thinking approaches to marketing this stuff. So um, on a related note, I downloaded that 64-page sampler for um, 2000 AD. Um, and what did you, you know, think? 
Well, I found it kind of dry. Uh, I, you know, it. I didn't make it all the way through. I mean, part of it is, of course, I had read the first because the first five pages of Zombo are literally the first five pages of Zombo. Like they were like, this is going to be new storyline stuff. But like the dread one, of course, is wrapping up that huge thing that Grant's yeah. been working on, right? And then there was. Uh, so I did. I only made it about twenty pages in, and then the other stuff, which was like, I don't know, the the adventures of Ghost Cowboy and Robo Farter or whatever. I, I, I kind of feel you're that, you're just not made for like the non comedic two thousand eighty stuff, are you? I, I I I don't know if I am. Maybe I'm not. It just was kind of uh, you know. Here's the thing. I think that I would be if I could read three issues at a time. You know what I mean? Like, it's the sort of thing, if you could read two or three issues at a go, and then you get enough of each storyline that you can build up, that would be great. But but there is a little bit, like, I was, I, that one piece just felt like really kind of super warmed over leftovers for me. The, whatever his name is, uh, you know. Is it the Ichabod's? Yes, Ichabod Ezekiel or yeah. whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um, it just it just did not it, it so didn't work for me. And I'm like, you know, it's only five pages. There's a chance like they covered a lot of ground. And maybe, you know, at ten pages in, I would be like, Oh, hey, ghost cowboys are cool. But I really kind of found myself being like kinda med over, you know what I mean? And did I even start in with this Age of the Wolf? I didn't. So there's I, I have to say you could, you could skip Age of the Wolf, Jeff. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, I haven't even... So for people, please keep in mind that I'm not like a good person to actually um, take your cues from in that I only read like one a third of the issue, if that. But I was kind of surprised by how tedious it felt, I guess, you know? So part of me, and it's really interesting because I was so on the whole like, well, maybe I'll subscribe for a month kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, it was a little too pricey for a year, but, um, but boy, I, you know, I was kind of surprised. I like, I picked this up and I'm like, huh, I wonder what the, everyone else's opinion is. It would be wonderful if this worked for a lot of people and maneuvered them in. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I almost feel like what they have to do is give you a bundle of like two or three issues um, and just, and just risk taking that kind of an economic hit to, to get you hooked on the, the serial movement of it. Cause it took me a while with Shonen Jump Alpha. You know, if you don't necessarily know the characters or you're jumping in cold, it, you got to kind of stick with it. You know, I find myself with the announcement, cause I think the announcement is great. And I, I really do mm-hmm. think it's a game changer for 2008 and ho- genuinely hope that, like there's a trickle down, and so yes, it will make 2008 be more experimental on what they're pushing. But I really mm-hmm. wish that they were doing their collections digitally. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I wish that they were like, and on iBooks you can also get, you know, mm-hmm. Zombo and Shikara, and maybe not the right. Dread stuff because I'm guessing IDW's got some rights deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish that that they could be like, you probably might want to not jump onto Zombo in you know story five. Right. Why don't you read the earlier stuff? Yeah, and they may they may pack that stuff in there. I mean, they're definitely there's you know between every story there was a page, uh, an ad for 2000 AD's uh, web store, 
So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. So, and I mean, there is that thing. I think. I think a lot of those trades you can't. I don't know, but I don't even think Zombo was available digitally. Otherwise, I I would have gotten it. Yeah, it's it's but, not. Like I don't think so, any of the trades are available digitally, and I really think like that's that makes me sad. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is that is something that I think would be super necessary. Um, on, on, on yes, I was going to say on a related note. Um, I yes. read I read even more Judge Dredd over the weekend. That wow. was the other thing I was I was really mainlining. Uh, thanks, Douglas Wolk. I met up with the other day, and he's like, "Have you read this?" Kathump. And I was like, "Great, <laughs> lots of Judge Dredd." Um, well, you know, he's he's got everything because he's doing the blog. Yes. So yeah, Douglas, Douglas is is Mr. Judge Dredd. Um, and it's it was really funny rereading lots of stuff I grew up on and being like, "Yeah, this is not holding up as well as I expected it to." Mm. Um, but also, like I I sort of got through such a span of it. Mm-hmm. Did it really, in a weird way, made me a fan of creating a good character as opposed to telling a story as a model for comics? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what you can do with Dread and what they have done with Dread, because he's been around for thirty-five years, mm-hmm. is so varied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get like now he's in charge of the police station, and he's an administrator. And how does he deal with this? Mm-hmm. And then you know that's where we finish, and it's like now he's back in the streets. Now right. someone's trying to blow up the planet. Now he's right. in space. Right. And it's one. It's weird thing where like they continually make it work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing. Well, it's it's one of the things that I do appreciate that I think also the Brits have a sense of is like once you create the character, mix it up. You know, at least that's the sense that I feel like from a lot of Brit creators who come over here is like, okay, it's like, you know, you got Spider-Man and Spider-Man's a consistent character no matter what happens. So why do we have to have him do the same stuff? Why can't we like, you know, have him get involved in, you know, a, a crime ring in Miami or something? You know what I mean? Like there's just kind of that sense of like the thing that impresses me about Dredd is he is always hit that character and using him as that um, as a, as the base you know, the thing that grounds the story is then you can build all sorts of insane shit around him, you know, or to play off of him, you know, because there's, which is that sort of satirical, irreverent tone that they can sort of nail so well. But here's the thing, Dread, first of all, I think a lot of that happens because it's the same people in charge for so long. Mm. And I, th- I think mm-hmm. there really becomes a, I am trying to keep myself interested as much as anything. Right. Uh, but also, Dread is really in a weird way structured like the Silver Age Superman in that everyone around him has the character arc and he doesn't. Mm, right, exactly. The stories are right. never about Dread in the same way that mm-hmm. in the Silver Age Superman, they're never about Superman. Things happen to him and nets to him. But he... I, do you ever... You know, we've gone back and forth. I remember when you brought up this argument about 40 episodes ago <laughs> and we went we went around on it because i see your point i'm not there's a there's a weisinger era that part of the weisinger era era where i sort of disagree with this actually um you know where they would have everything happen to superman they just always never hit the changed. reset button well yeah, because but, he hit the reset button yeah. so they never changed you know so so, so there the, is that the status quo is never really impacted right Exactly. And Dread's very much the same thing. Because they, mm-hmm. they change, I mean, they change the status quo of Mega mm-hmm. City 1 
all of the fucking time. Right. But dread status quo never changes. Well, yeah, but that's what I think is that's yeah, that's part of why it works. Yeah, no, exactly. That's That's what what I'm saying. saying. Yeah, but it's like you Mm -hmm. know when they do change status quo, you know he's in space, he's in charge of the sector house. They Mm -hmm. always hit the reset button. Yeah, it's this weird thing that even if something doesn't work, you have Mm -hmm. enough faith that they will just set it back anyway. Mm -hmm. That you lose your neurons. They're ruining the character. Right, right. You're just like just stick with it long enough. Yeah, Yeah. well, it becomes. Mm -hmm. So I guess where they're going with this, as opposed to. As opposed to like, you know, Avengers vs. X-Men. Mm-hmm. Or even though you know that, you know, Cyclops is not going to end up with Phoenix Force forever or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. They're so intent on everything counts mm-hmm. that they won't hit the reset button. And so you have this weird weird anxiety of, oh, they're fucking it up. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, it's that weird. Like, I remember during Civil, you know, when when Spider Man unmasks at Civil in Civil War, I was just like, okay, well, you know, this there's going to be a reset button of some sort coming up soon, you know. And they gamely went with it for, I guess, a couple of years. But of course, for me, part of me is like, you get into that weird zone of like, okay, well, do I want the reset button? which means that, quote-unquote, none of this matters? Or do I really want the broken character swinging around, you know? It's funny. Um, Even as we're talking about this, part of me is like, but they don't always, like, they don't completely hit the reset button with Dread. It's just a really <laughs> slow evolution as opposed to a dramatic, right. no, he's a woman, or whatever. <laughs> no, because I'm thinking about it. Because I'm, I'm thinking that they have sort of a creeping uh, belief in democracy. And mm-hmm. creeping humanization of them. But it's so slow. Like, you could mm-hmm. read a single episode from 2012 and a single episode from 1977 and be like, it's the same guy. Right. That it seemed, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's the thing. Maybe you've, you have got to, A, evolve the character believably, but B, do it really slow. And so mm-hmm. it seems natural. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, at a really, really slow rate. That seems to be the point where that, you know, people have been talking about Wagner's run on it, his recent run, is like, he has moved this character, and you get the, it almost feels like this very long game being played, you know, like a very incremental, and, and that seems really exciting and tempting for me to dip into, even as it seems absolutely impossible you know, well, unless that, you're going to go about it walk style. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's the thing. I was actually talking to Kate about Judge Dredd the other day because, you know, I'm like, I've got all these things. Kate's like, who is that? They look ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> no, it's funny. The cover of the, the Inferno collection has just come out. Uh, it's a uh-huh. Poland shot, shot and like Dredd's arms on fire and he's looking at it in a sort of like, you know, this is pissing me off face. It's <laughs> like, that's, that looks dumb. And so I explained Judge Dredd to her and I'm like, you know, this is a setup, blah, blah. And she's like, that sounds really interesting, but I have absolutely no desire to read it. Mm-hmm. Because sure enough, like, there's what, 17, 18 volumes of the complete case files out, which yeah. constitute like a year at a time. Of of the series, right? And even then, you're caught up to like ninety two or something like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like like it's so daunting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, and I mean, I think you know the thing that's ironic is if you do it in theory, you pretty much 
have it all. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems, it does seem daunting, but somehow it, on the other hand, I'm like, but it still somehow seems like, you know, not nearly as impossible as like amazing Spider-Man, you know? Uh, Cause I, I, I say that wrong instead of Spider-Man. Cause at one point you had just amazing Spider-Man and then you had spectacular and Marvel team up. And then you had all the other, you know, fractured stuff. Uh, one of the things that was, great about buying up these um digital you know these dvd collections uh, of pdfs that marvel put out mm-hmm. or gt corp put out back in 2005 is be, is that moment where you're like yes yes i have it all <laughs> until you look at like the x-men you know thing yeah the, the x-men just... one is really frustrating because all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like we haven't collected any of the other series that you know after 1990 they cross over with weekly Right, which is just insane. Or Spider-Man. Part of me is like, okay, I can see why you wouldn't put Spectacular in there. But you put in the annuals, but you didn't put in the giant-sized Spider-Man? You know, there's like only six of those. Like, Yeah, the same with the, the um, Avengers one. So you don't mm-hmm. get the completion of the angle arcs oh, at all. Oh, right. That was the one that killed me. Yeah, exactly. Like two of my favorite Avengers issues of all time. Uh, issue two, actually two, three, and four. Because the wedding's in four. And two is just the awesome awesomeness. But I wonder what what's number three? I guess that's the what, conclusion. Giant size of, three is that not the Kang one? It it's got to be the conclusion of the Kang or, or maybe the Immortus the Immortus Limbo one where the where the Vision learns his you know his origins and the Frankenstein monster helps him out and all that sort of stuff. I am you know, I am opening it up right now on the that storyline yeah. that carried from like one thirty two through one thirty four or something like that. Let's see what it says if it ever loads. Uh, it is Kang War Two conclusion. What time hath put asunder? Yeah, mm, boy. And sure enough, it features Frankenstein's monster, Jim Hammond, yeah. Human Torch, Wonder Man, Baron Zemo, Ghost, and Midnight. Silver Surfer appears in flashback. Mm-hmm. Locations limbo open brackets temporal. <laughs> oh right, Silver Surfer appears because the ghost is also in that. Yeah, that's the shit that I love. Like I have to say, like that the just the fact that like st- God bless him. You know, Steve Englehart was like, okay, well the Vision turns immaterial and he can beat everybody. The ghost can turn immaterial. Let's have them fight. You know, and I have to say, I don't know if this is going to come up in your in your news thing, but. I love the little continuity wonkiness for Ms. Thing in the um, the oh the the, the fraction red thing? FF. Mm-hmm. I am. How, uh, how do you feel about the fraction? How do, in fact, how do you feel about all the Marvel now announcements? Well, I've generally been in this weird zone of like trying not to listen. Uh, yeah, kind of, or not paying attention. And honestly, none of it seems really that interesting. The the fraction all red one was the first one where I kind of was like, huh. But honestly, reading half of the description for the FF or the Fantastic Four or whatever, whichever storyline it was where, you know, Johnny comes back through the door and is like, we can never open that door again. I was like, I, 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 you know, it sounds weird, but I just, I don't, I don't really have that much confidence in, in Fraction. I mean, it's totally fine because I'm really only just reading his Casanova stuff or anything else that he does outside of Marvel. So it doesn't really matter. But most of, most of the Marvel Now stuff has left me pretty significantly underwhelmed. 
I, I am I like hating myself that I, uh, I I think that I'm really excited about Gillen's Iron Man. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Much more than I expected to be. Mm. Um, and Thor sounds ambitious, but not something I want to read. Mm. The idea of like the splitting across three different timelines sounds mm-hmm. ambitious, but I'm not that invested in Thor as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Fantastic Four stuff. I don't know. I I'm completely torn on it. I'm I, I honestly I, I, I can't like I think he's saying all the right things, but I've absolutely right. no faith in him delivering it. If that makes sense. No, I, that's that's it for me. Although part of me is like that FF one. I'm like, uh, so it's you know. I think part of the problem is is because Allred's doing the art. You know, there's just this instantaneous you know kind of jump to oh yeah, well I like the ecstatics too. You know, yeah, and I don't think that that's. Um, but he, the funny thing is, like, Miss Thing beyond the name didn't do anything mm-hmm. for me at all. Oh, but do you get the little continuity? Oh thing yeah, the it? thing armor, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome that they bring that back. But then the rest of it, I was like, yeah, but really, Miss Thing isn't that just kind of dopey and tired? And again, is kind of like, isn't that just kind of ecstaticy? You know, yeah, but also like, it's, it's, it's not ecstatic. just feel really old. Yeah. It's a celebutant who's a superhero and she's out of her depth. I mm-hmm. feel like that was an idea from 20, like, eh, maybe not 20, 10 years ago. Really? I guess, did we have celebutants back then? I, I yeah, certainly... I mean, was, was Paris Hilton up back then? Am I, am I? No. Yeah, you're not. No, you're not really. Graham, no. I don't think so. I'm I'm now going to see when Paris Hilton came back. I Please honestly, do. I honestly came about. I'm going to see when Paris Hilton was born. Paris <laughs> <laughs> Hilton. Uh, oh god, I'm, okay. Wikipedia. You'll you'll be the one that'll tell me when she became famous. That's right. After her sex tape, and then the 2001 the stuff. Really, the sex tape was in 2001. No, the sex tape was 2003. Okay, she wasn't really a celeb before this. She was okay. the New York's leading It's Girl in 2001. She was in movies in 2001. Was she? Yeah. Right. Uh, the sex- okay, your sense of time is... I was like, Graham, you're really silly. But no, okay, you're on it. Ten but years. That, but yeah, so I, I don't know. Just mm-hmm. some, something about the... She's, you know, she's a society bimbo who's now in a, you know, who's now a superhero... How, what kind of wacky scrapes is she going to get into? Feels right. really old. It feels yeah. old in a like. It feels old in a Bob Haney sense, but not in the Bob Haney sense of this guy's hilariously out of touch. How funny can Teen Titans be? But just in a <laughs> oh really sense. I don't know. It just. But at the same time, the whole the best picks, the best Fantastic Four series, the uh, the Incredibles. I want to do that. I'm like, yes, all mm-hmm. ages, you know, all ages, family stories, a lot of imagination, admitting that you can't match up to what Stanley and Jack Kirby did, you know, go. That's mm-hmm. great. And then he says things like, so my first year is going to be traveling to the past for a school trip. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> that, like, that's that's the best? Like, that yeah. that's your... Because that's been done. Moreover, that was done as a joke at the start of the Mark Miller run. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just, you know, it's one of those weird things where I, uh, 
I almost feel like the Fantastic Four should be retired. I mean, I know I've broken this out before, but I really, if ever there was a like balloon that had been expanded so much and so rapidly and really can't seem to return to anything like it's a regular pliable shape, it's the Fantastic Four. They're just, you can't do anything with them and you can't not do stuff you know, and still have a monthly comic book. And so it just gets, it just kind of gets vexing, you know, I, I just, as much as I love, and, and it's ironic for me to say that, but I think until, unless you're prepared to, you know, disappear up the Kirby bunghole, you know, even more thoroughly than John Byrne did, I'm not really sure there's much of a point. I just, anymore, like, I just kind of do feel like those characters have been around for 60 years and it really shows, you know? But Do, does I know it show, there's other does people. Does it show more me. for the Fantastic Four than it does for Spider-Man? Say, yeah, I think so. Is it because we so. expect the Fantastic Four to be new in a way that we don't expect other Marvel superheroes to be, or other superheroes in general? Is it because like the first hundred issues were so holy shit? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. That has created this completely unrealistic expectation. Well, okay. I think on the one hand, that is certainly part of it. Like you look back at the stuff that that they were doing in those first hundred issues and you're like, yes, this, more this, this huge, this feeling. And and, But honestly, I'm actually going to jump back to maybe a corollary to the Judge Dredd idea, which is the fewer characters that you have, the more freedom you have to change everything around. You know what I mean? Like you've got Dread, you can totally do whatever you want around him because he's just kind of one guy. And so like you can have his relationships play out or they can disappear. It's sort of the same thing with Spider-Man. It helps to me that Spider-Man's got a cast of characters, but the cast of characters can change. But they're not they're not his teammates if you if you see what I'm saying. Like, no, I totally, I totally don't. Four, you can you can write them out. Mhm. Right. So you're in this situation with Fantastic Four where because they're a family, you kind of can't change their relationships too much. If you And people have tried that and it's been kind of disastrous. Um, or what you do is the, well, blank is dead. Now it's time for us to put blank as the new member and we must solve blank, you know? And that story is, is it seems like a reoccurring one throughout Fantastic Four. Um, because it's that idea of like, well, at least we get some new blood in there and there can be new relationships. But I think the problem with the FF is like, well, you know, Reed and Ben aren't going to stop being best friends and Reed and Sue aren't going to get divorced. And you're not really going to have Johnny and Sue uh, stop being siblings anytime soon. So it just kind of seems a little locked in. You know what I mean? At, at, at For the relationships. And then I think, unfortunately, once you move away from that, you start getting into stuff about like, okay, well, what what's happening to these characters? What are we throwing at these characters? And that w- works for a certain amount of time, but is kind of, um, as we were talking about with Parker last week, it's uh, antithetical to how we view so much of the drama now, you know, like people in the various screenwriting books point out your characters then become passive, you know? Yeah. Um, so to fight that, then they start doing things of like, okay, well, we'll give Reed like, you know, uh, 
a goal, you know, because he can really move the plot forward. And it just, it, in other words, it just sort of seems to me that the Fantastic Four, because there's four of them and it's really important that their relationships are what they are, it's it's what we have the most fondness for, but it actually ends up blocking the number of potential story opportunities available to you. Here's a question. Do we give Jonathan Eckman nowhere near enough credit for making the Fantastic Four commercially viable again? It's got a spin-off that yeah. is doing good numbers and is doing well enough that they can relaunch it with an entirely new cast. I suppose yeah. just being like, so FF's done. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing that FF was going to be relaunched, I was kind of like, he's really done something amazing. No, I totally agree. The fact that FF is, the fact that he, like, nobody, like, there have been so many titles, uh, characters in Marvel Universe that tried to have two titles in there or even just a flotilla of miniseries. Um, and Hickman's the only guy who was really able to make that viable. And for the Fantastic Four, you know, who people pretty much joked couldn't really even carry one series, much less two. Yeah, it's kind so, of amazing. Yeah, no, I totally give him credit for, from that angle. I mean, I really do think that that's a, um, it, you know, he's, he seems to have big shoes to fill. It just at the same time there was a way in which the way that he got there and to do it uh, didn't didn't really knock me out too much. You know? Yeah, no, I, I it worked for a lot of other people. Yeah, exactly. So. I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm like that that mm-hmm. didn't really work for me. Like it felt really like I was reading someone's notes as opposed to reading a story. Right, um, but there's but, but no totally, denying. But it totally worked mm-hmm. for people. It, it did. It worked for people, and those numbers went up. And it's yeah, it's it. You you can't argue with that success. Um, and and I think even now, as I'm saying stuff, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would step in there and be like, you know, Jeff, you're totally wrong, and and make a great case for it. And that may be the case. I I mean, I, I they're probably right. I just feel kind of in my heart of hearts. I just don't have a lot of expectations for the FF. It feels like nine times out of 10 when people are like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to do the, you know, they're a family idea uh, or they're going to do the, they're the explorers idea. You know, I, I mean, I hate to sound like heresy, but to keep, as long as I'm talking FF heresy, like the Wade and Waringo stuff, which looked gorgeous, really only worked for me a maybe about 50% of the time, you know what I mean? Like the, there were a lot of issues there that I felt didn't work or just kind of were meh, you know? Um, it, it, you know, it seemed like Wade was doing a very complex dance of like, well, I'm giving everyone what they say they want while giving them what I think they'll really want. And I think it was right for the most part. Like, as you pointed out, when he killed off the thing, it, you know, they the it only lasted you know half a page if that before they were like okay time to get him back kind of thing yeah which know? is what I kind of loved I don't know I I really found that mm-hmm. I'm I'm here's something else I've been reading after me being like I've not been reading new comics I've just realized I've been reading a lot of old comics uh, yeah. I've been rereading Wade and Kitson's Legion of Superheroes mm. which I remember loving at the time. Rereading it, I hadn't realized just how fucking smart a reboot it was. Mm-hmm. It it is at least in the writing because I always have problems with Kitson's art, but at least in the writing, it is perfect for like mm-hmm. the first six issues or so. I mean, yeah. everything is just so spot on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's 
it was a new 52 book before its time. You know what I mean? Like it really, I, and I don't mean that as in like, it meets all the standards of the new 52. I mean that it was just, it was just such a smart, like you said, it's just a smart reboot in every way. It did everything that I think the Legion of Superheroes needed done to make it accessible. Um, and then it just, uh, uh, Accessible and contemporary in a way that that book has never been before and will never be again. Right. That's the thing. Like it, it, it spoke to the time it was being created in, mm-hmm. and then to see them go from Wade to Jim Shooter and then Paul Levitz. And don't get me wrong, I like the Levitron, but I, mm-hmm. I like the Levitron because I read his like you know big one in the eighties, and it's almost you know ninety percent nostalgia that I like the Levitron for. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's really sad. They, they just it's it's stunning how much DC screwed the pooch on that one. Oh yeah, it, it's it's staggering that within what a year or two years of that book being launched, they let someone else be like, and this is the real jo- uh, Legion of Superheroes here in my Justice League comic. Yeah, and it was a different team. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, I mean, I can, it is one of those things where... That's incompetence on an amazing level. Yeah, Yeah, we were talking about Wade losing his shit, and uh, I feel like the people in our comments thread have a ton of, you know, uh, real empathy um, for Wade uh, on various number of fronts. But there is, um, there is no denying that DC has done some just shitty shitty things to a guy trying to work for um company and properties that he so clearly adores yes you know yeah so just I, to, it, it's it, he his treatment from dc has been appalling yeah and yeah you can't really see why if that makes sense like mm-hmm. it's not like alan moore who did after a while was just be like fuck you like Wade, right. Wade tried to play nice for a really long time when they were shitting on his head. Right. Well, uh, and I could be wrong. Who knows how it breaks down? But I do see that sense of like, you know, at the time, Brad Meltzer was delivering tremendous numbers for Justice League uh, and had delivered tremendous numbers for Identity Crisis. And when Meltzer was like, hey, I've got an awesome idea for Legion of Superheroes. They're like, yeah, OK, run with it. Go ahead. You know, I'm not stepping on anyone's toes. I might know, Brad, just go. If you want to do this, whatever, it's all you, baby. You know, it's just uh, maybe yeah, not, it's, but it's I, really I sad. assume that's it. Mm-hmm. Talking about Wade going crazy. Have you seen his four panels that don't work in comics today? Yes. Yes. With I the did. amazingly gratuitous Jeff John slump. <laughs> that was, I thought, really funny. Uh, it's, it was. But were you not just like, Wow. I, I was genuinely taken aback when I saw it, just because I was like, I thought you guys were friends, but clearly you're not. Uh, you know, they they were both willing to consider each other friends recently, so I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was. Yeah, I, but does I, it not seem like weirdly mean? It doesn't. Oh, it doesn't seem like a comedy joshing to me. Oh no 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 no. No. Uh, well. Let me think. I, I forget. Is the dialogue in it? It's like, like don't do this, and then it's it's not like unless you're Jeff Johns or no. Is it's it something like, like uh, hang on. 
I am now looking it up for you. Uh, God knows it, it was is, everywhere in the net. Yeah, that's just it. That, it was funny because I I never go to the gutters, and it was one of those. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw it on Twitter, and people were like, "I can't believe you did that." The dialogue mm-hmm. is: this stopped being shocking or effective at least a year ago. To be fair, though, it's hard imagining a Jeff Johns comic without it. I mean, that's that really is like. Oh, burn. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because I think it it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they they always talked about each other with the highest amounts of respect. But there is a point where it becomes really apparent that the, you know, the one guy taking shot, you know, pot shots at the other company, the the guy, the other guy is one of the people steering that ship. You know what I mean? So it's it is a little hard. It would be it would be really tough to, you know, you, me, and Steve Wacker to you know knock down to the bar for a couple of beers and be all like, oh, and then the next day, um, comment on one another's threads profusely. Um, you know, like, and that's, uh, you know, maybe I'll just go and cut that part out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, it's beside the point. I guess my point is is that although everyone wants to pretend that everything is all nice, the fact of the matter is is things we say can have consequences, you know? Um, and so essentially uh, it wouldn't surprise me if once Wade had that meltdown and the meltdown did have its very strong basis in D.C., depending that, on who reached just... out to him and what was said. Yeah. Really? I was ju- I was wondering if they were both – if basically the, they both had the same flashpoint and the flat <laughs> flashpoint, uh, and, <laughs> and neither of those were like the newsarama thing came from the same thing that made him angry when he was writing this. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah, right, right. And yeah, so the newsarama thing was not really the newsarama thing. Like he was, yeah. he was already primed. Could be to go off. Could be. Well, and yeah, it could. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, again, they've. Tr- They've treated They've him treated him appallingly. Yeah, they've treated him badly. And when you hear about some of the things that have happened to him, there is kind of a, an element of like, you know, I don't know if he, he added it up or someone else just said, look, I don't understand. Your friend is Jeff Johns. He's one quarter of the creative committee. Why can't he get them to give you a little respect, you know? And maybe Johns was like, oh, well, it's out of my hands, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I don't know. Well, he, yeah, he's always done that, though. Mm-hmm. Jeff Johns has always been like, I'm not in charge of the comics. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. I'm not in charge of the comics. That's not Which, me. Like, and he's got to the point where he will say it preemptively. Yeah, but it's so disingenuous. Like so, I know, but do you know what I mean? Like, someone will be like, so I read Batman the other day, and his response will be, I'm not in charge of the comics. <laughs> it's like his fetal position he gets into. You said the word comic? It's not me. Not me. Just curl up on myself here. Don't, yeah. Yeah, no, it's totally true. Uh, and yet, it's so, that's so absurd. I mean, it's just so disingenuous, you know? Because um, it's, I don't know. Again, in any event, I feel sorry I, that I didn't think that, that four panels that never work, storytelling panels that never work, was especially that funny. I thought it seemed like a great concept and had that really wicked, wicked Jeff Johns barb. Um, but I don't know, you know, the whole like jumbotron or like people looking at the TV set. Like I'm like, 
I don't, I don't see me. I don't know. Maybe is there a lot of that going on in other comics that I'm not reading, Graham? Do you think? I, I feel like it's put this way. All of the tropes seemed familiar to me. Sure, they seem familiar to me, but you know, considering I've been reading comics for decades, you know, I'm like, <laughs> what so, isn't familiar like, to you? No, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. no, I, I, I don't know. That's why when I linked to a newsarama, I actually said like, when was the last time Jeff Johns did this? Because I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think all of them are kind of obvious jokes, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. That's not true. Maybe the first one about the doing the close-up and having far too much text in the panel. I feel like I see that a lot. Yeah, no, that one is the only one that I uh, that that actually struck me as trenchant. And yet, ironically enough, I'm like, and yet it sometimes works. I mean, it doesn't – how do I put it? It never works well, I suppose, but mm-hmm. – I don't know anyone who actually wants that event to happen, you know, like on the other hand, my hands down, my favorite book of the last two weeks is Bakuman volume 13, you know, because I love I love the love this book. As you know, I love manga and especially the Bakuman manga. But volume 13 is it and volume 11, which was just two volumes ago, were fucking fantastic or just everything that I wanted from this comic book but inevitably at some point considering what people are doing half the time is like explaining editorial policies to one another and or debating finer points of of storytelling about stories that you don't really see um you there's always some point where it becomes I've seen like one little head and it's surrounded by like 18 word panels and there's and that happened to death note too on the one hand it's not optimal on the other hand there are also those books that seem to call for it so you know i, I mean that's my thing i mean this is my unfortunate thing i grew, because i grew up in that that stan lee roy thomas Englehart claremont era like i'm used to just a higher amount of verbal information there uh, and it it usually helps me feel married to the story, even though I'm aware that technically it is shitty comic book storytelling. You know, you're just you were raised in the '70s, Jeff. That's your problem. I know, I know. It totally you're raised is. in possibly the most verbose era for comic for mainstream comic. Oh, I know, I know, and it and to my detriment. And in fact, at one point, um, Wade's like, I mean, you know, did you learn nothing but the worst lessons from? somebody in Don McGregor. And I was like, oh, that's really nice that he dropped Don McGregor's name in there. Because McGregor does. He does it, you know, in the sense that he put it in there without trying to make it sound like there are other lessons you can learn from Don McGregor, which you can. Um, But yeah, like, are, are you are you just turning against Mark Wade as a person? Is that what you're, you're trying no, to tell no, me? No, 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 no. I, I just, I just, um, I just particularly thought like, that that four panels that never work, I was like, this is going to be awesome. And apart from the eyeball one, the other three just kind of struck me as, you know, two of them struck me as kind of flat. And then the Jeff Johns one struck me as as uh, very was funny, particularly with the guy holding up the arm in the background. Which is, yeah, which does make it this spectacular double joke. Yeah, exactly. But I, but I don't I don't it didn't. But it, it, it didn't it just didn't live up to the the promise of the oh this will be good for a good couple of cheap laughs and I'll learn something you know <laughs> what I learned oh, was really? Mark Wade I, and Jeff I, Johns I apparently aren't 
I thought it definitely lived up for a couple of cheap laughs. I I think if you're complaining, it didn't give you a couple of cheap laughs. You could complain that it wasn't a couple of uh, that it was only cheap laughs. I think that's. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I suppose I suppose that's part of my problem. Is is I, uh, the laughs were were too cheap, too too cheap. Yeah, they they and not nearly as abundant as I would have liked. But um, and, and it's weird because I actually really do like Wade and think that overall his storytelling over the last couple of years has been very strong. So it's kind of weird to kind of be feel like I'm in the the disseat, you know, two weeks in a row with him. So. Talking about Wade, his Hulk I'm looking forward to. Although I am somewhat, I don't know, cynical about him doing the whole, this guy's been fucked up, but he's decided he's not going to be fucked up anymore uh, thing with Bruce <laughs> Banner that he did with Matt Murdock. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels right. like the same trick twice. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping mm-hmm. that was just like one of those things where it reads like that in the interview and then you read the comic and you're like, it's nothing like it. But definitely mm-hmm. when I saw him say, yeah, Bruce Banner's been through a lot, but now he's just trying to get his life back on track. Felt like mm-hmm. it was the same thing. Yeah, this is one of those things where I'm just wildly educa- uneducated about it because I, I never picked up a single issue of Jason Aaron's Hulk, but – from the premise of it, I'm not sure how you can get from there to where Wade's talking. Yeah, exactly. About. If, if all of a sudden Bruce Banner is the bad guy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I feel like you're going to have to do some amazing gymnastics mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. like, actually, now he should. He, he was just going through some things, but then again, they did that to Daredevil. Remember? And then they were like, actually, Daredevil was possessed by a fucking demon. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, th- you know, one of the things that I actually liked about that angle of it was Daredevil was possessed by a fucking demon. But how do I put this? But there was still a sense that he had fucked up and gone too far. You know what I mean? Like there was still enough of a sense of consequences. Not like, hey, I just stabbed somebody and killed a bunch of other people and tried to have all these other things destroyed kind of level of it. But at least enough of the okay, I was possessed by an evil thing and I did evil stuff because I went too far, you know, and, and there was that sense of like, and then, and then to change things up with the character, like it, it just, all the pieces seem to fall together there. Hey, you know, I read the first issue of Archer and Armstrong, the little reboot, having never read the characters before and oh, I enjoyed it. I've got that in my bedside table. I, I'm, I'm, you should read I it. I haven't read it. I did. Jeff, this week, especially the last couple of days, have been absolutely fucking insane. And here's where I'll talk about the news. So this is why uh, it's... Oh, good. The mm-hmm. Kirkman-Tony Moore lawsuit. Mm, is, yeah. No joke, even though I've only written about it once, mm-hmm. has taken up maybe four or five hours of my last couple of days. Just, like, reading through everything on it and getting in lots of discussions. Like, there was a lot of discussions behind the scenes about Newsarama, trying to mm-hmm. basically understand what the second lawsuit even was and mm-hmm. why it existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, for some reason, like, knocked ev- all of my deadlines off this week. <laughs> the tw- Jesus. So have you, have you been paying attention to this lawsuit? Uh, enough that I read a couple of quick summaries, right? And I think if I if I'm understanding, the second lawsuit is more claiming essentially he wants the contracts that he had signed with Kirkman to be undone 
claiming that Kirkman essentially lied to him and misled him about it. And so he wants to be reinstalled as the co-creator of Walking Dead and all the other books, which is what he'd previously signed an agreement, you know, disavowing himself of. Right? Yes. Is that, is that, yeah. Basically, so. yes. What mm-hmm. has happened is he has had to file in federal court to be reinstated as the co-author of all his works. Because previously mm-hmm. he filed in state court, and state court cannot rule that. Interesting. Okay. The reason he's having to do this is mm-hmm. apparently from the first lawsuit, he mm-hmm. tried to get he tried to get specific papers from Image Comics, and Image Comics said, you don't get those, you're just an artist. Oh my God! So the accounting papers that yeah. he claimed that he yes. was supposed to be able to get yes. to get, yes. Oh my fucking God! No wonder why he's so pissed. Okay. Oh my they, God! Right. According to coverage in Hollywood Reporter, and this is, I God knows where this came from, but the Hollywood mm-hmm. Reporter essentially says the image told him he'd have to go to federal court to become listed as a co-author before they give him the papers, and so that's exactly what the, what he did. Wow. He's seeking wow. a declaratory judgment, which is basically the judge gets to decide and everyone right. has to stick with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of an all or nothing maneuver. Yeah. But he kind of has to do this in order to win the first case. Man, that's bullshit. So part of what I was doing yesterday and part of what took so much time was I was looking at the timeline of the first lawsuit. And sure mm-hmm. enough, in July – Someone, and it's quite clearly not Tony Moore, petitioned to have records sealed in the mm-hmm. first case. <laughs> mm-hmm. There, There's a petition to have records sealed. There's uh, image were subpoenaed and apparently refused the subpoena. Wow, no but, shit. Yeah, there's all this shit going on. Wow. Uh, and so he basically has gone for a, a, I mean, not really a nuclear option, but kind of. Because mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. if he gets co-author credit, Mm-hmm. then because of the way the copyright works, he can make his own Walking Dead TV show. That's legal. Yes, yes, he absolutely. His, he can publish his own Walking Dead comics. The whole yeah. shebang. Yeah. Um, so this is really a worst-case scenario for Kirkman if he gets it. Man, they are so dumb. I mean, they didn't want to admit to the fact that they were screwing him. I Well, who knows? Who knows? Well, Maybe there's other reasons, but that seems to be the Occam's that, razor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the easiest it, solution. It's really, really weird. It. I. I'm not quite sure what is going on. Apparently, Image told him, and again, this is all from reports. I've not talked to anyone. Image. I've not talked to anyone. At the. I from either party's legal t- team. Mm-hmm. Um. But it seems to be that Image cock blocked him from getting the papers he was asking for which is crazy which is kind of a real crazy workaround because i could have sworn in the first contract they said you know that he had the right to be given an accounting you know when requested yeah or, but they also you know. said that he would get 60 percent of all the net comic proceeds and 20 percent of all the the adaption wow which and that's that's him that's the agreement after he gave up his rights to it. Right. No, I know. And that's the thing. That's why I always assumed he was when he filed the first suit, the first suit made a lot of cut and dry sense to me in this in that he was saying, like, look, I'm guaranteed under this contract, I'm allowed this money and I'm allowed to see the books on to make sure that I'm getting paid the proper percentages. Mm-hmm. Like so it was very there. You so know? do you know by the way that um Kirkman is countersuing Moore? 
No. Kirkman is countersuing Moore for, get this, having overpaid him for his six issues of The Walking Dead. That takes balls. Wow. That really takes balls. Well, it's yeah. It's you got to figure out some way to get the sword over the other dude's head. I just hope Moore's got enough money to kind of see things through because that's oh my god. And also, I have to say, I'm like, well, I sure feel a little more squeamish about it <laughs> being the creator of rights yeah, company. No, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is this is a real black eye for image. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit! And it's well, a and horrific how much, black eye for for Kirkman. Oh yeah. Uh, hugely so. Um, well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how it goes. But of course, for me, I'm like, but, you know, of course, Image is Kirkman to at least whatever percentage yeah, that he bought yeah, in as a partner. He's a partner now. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, oh my God. I, I swear to God, it, it, Image sometimes feels cursed. You know, I mean, this is, this is sort of the last of the big time curses, but of course, you know, I used to bitch about how like every time image sort of started getting its wheels spinning as a true, you know, sort of building up some sort of word of mouth for itself as a creator rights company, you know, the next thing you'd have like one of the image five step in and be like, yes. And that's why I'm relaunching my entire extremely awesome line, you know, and it's, and now it's just this really kind of it's at it's at a terrible level because Kirkman sounds it sounds like he's working super hard to protect huge chunks of his money. But I'm like, dude, it's got to be huge chunks of money. Like, and this is where my thinking always breaks down. So you only have half of huge is still huge. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? No, or that, at least that, big. That's always I'm always like, wait, so what's really legitimately the difference between millions and millions of dollars and millions of dollars? Like, how quickly are you actually spending this? Yeah, I mean, how much? I mean, is there some solid gold-plated car that you're, like, driving that's really important to you? I mean, but, what could be going on that you are like, I cannot allow you to have... Millions and millions of dollars, you know, I I just I don't get it. I really don't get it, you know, because it is that kind of thing of like the worm can turn. And I mean, Lord knows if there's one thing that the comics industry has proven itself to be remarkably resilient to it's giving a shit about, you know, lawsuits that in which corporations and companies, you know, you know, unfairly steal the rights of creators or co-creators, but still, son of a bitch, it's not good. No, it's, it's, it's really, really horrible. It's, it's just... But I, I, have you seen the actual lawsuit? Have you seen the verbiage of the lawsuit? No, I should read it. I mean, there okay, was that no, great... I, the, yeah. yeah, the opening. Okay. It was the opening that I wanted to read you. Mm-hmm, um, which is... Hang on, because I actually have a PDF with lawsuits. <laughs> You've, uh, you know, Graham, I, I have to say I've got a PDF somewhere of the first lawsuit, and I don't even write industry news. You know what I mean? Kirkman is a proud liar and fraudster who freely admits that he has no qualm about misrepresenting material facts in order to consummate business transaction. And it is precisely this illicit conduct which led to the present lawsuit and to Kirkman's business, quote, success, unquote, generally. I mean, really, that's that's the lawsuit. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that's kind of – that's bold. The best was I got emailed this by um, – Michael's Ryan, Newsarama. He's mm-hmm. like, can you come into chat? 
so we can all talk about this and everyone's there like Lucas and, and Albert and Vanita mm-hmm. um, and I'm reading and I get to that part and I just type holy crap and they all went you've got to the second part haven't you <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. It really is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's sort of uh, uh yeah, we'll see where it goes, but it's it it would be hmm. Uh so you you guys were essentially trying to figure out I guess what the scope of your coverage is going to be. No, we were trying is to figure out what it meant. We're like, what's the difference between this and the second and the first lawsuit? Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately we're like, isn't this exactly what he was suing about six months ago? Right. Um, and it's not. It, I mean, it is and it's not. Because wow. of where he's filing it is different and because this this second one really makes a big deal out of, I want the rights, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, well, you know, it'll... it'll where's, where, where did he file it? You said in, in federal uh, court? Federal but- court. The first one was uh, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I think, second court of Los Angeles, uh, and the, this one, this new one's federal court, because federal court is the only one that can actually reward him authorship, hmm. and he gets authorship of The Walking Dead, Battle Pope, Brit, and then two things that didn't happen called Dead Planet and My Name Is Abraham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. Um, let's see. Because of the animosity engendered by the filing of the state court action, Kirkham now baselessly denies that Moore jointly authored the works with him. Moore's status as joint author and co-owner of the works will impact the damages analysis in the state court action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just... It's nasty. And here's the thing. If Kirkman loses, mm-hmm. I have a horrible feeling that it won't impact him at all. No, no. It, well, it depends. For the most part, it would not. But I mean, and isn't that kind of horrible? Well, yes. First off, yes, it is. Uh, I mean, this whole situation is horrible because it doesn't. You know, again, there, yeah. There's no not horrible in this. You're right. There is no not horrible. But you know, I I have to say, there really is. I do have that concept of like, God, what if I just got like. $30 million, does it like instantly turn you into a prick? Like, I mean, you know, like, is it a weird, like, you're like, oh, that but would that, never be me, but like. No, that's just it. Does it? Testing. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. What the hell was that, huh? I don't know. I was talking, and then all of a sudden you weren't there. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, Graham. Graham, I can't hear you. Hello, Graham. And normally I'm used to like, and I went to check the text messages. Wow, really strange. I have no idea why that blew out the way that it did. It was like my, I think. You you know what it was? What? We were talking about being rich. Your (laughs) microphone was like, don't say anything. It could be legal actionable later. (laughs) That must be it. Because it was kind of crazy, wasn't it? Oh, my God. Um, wait, all right. Now, is this the call? Is this the message that's playing now? Damn it. Sorry. Uh, I'm trying to make sure that I'm like having that Power Grandma's actually recording this. You are recording this, right? <laughs> I love the idea that Power Grandma's go like, yes, Jeff, I am. I'm yeah. recording this. 
but it's really not. No, I think it. I think it is. I just. I don't. I never know if I want to close this window or not. Like, don't close anything. <laughs> if closing something's gonna put it off, don't close anything. I know. Okay, fine. Thank you. All right. So yes, uh, so that, that'll be a fun bit to edit. Hopefully, oh, I know. Gonna, it'll be are, like, are you going to just put a bit in the middle where you're like, it's something happened? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Find that old Sam sad trombone uh, voice. Yeah, which, dude, uh, again, I just, I don't get it. I really do have this thing of like, you know, like, it, it just happens with depressing regularity. Is it just that we never hear about all the cases where all these things get worked out perfectly and people share their millions and millions and dance off happily into the sunset with one another? Does that happen? I don't. I didn't think so, but I'm like, surely I'm being biased by yet another suit where this just where it just sounds terrible. You know? It is. I mean, it's just it's really, really, really depressing. Mm-hmm. I, I. But again, I'm I'm uh, I've been accused by comic professionals who will remain nameless um, of continually being depressed and sad about things, and yeah. uh, it was suggested that maybe I should see a doctor about it. Really? Um, what a jerk. Did you not see this? No, where was that? Was that like a quote on blog on blog ads? Uh, it, it was it was Twitter. No, I totally missed that. From um, a certain individual? Uh, yeah. I thought you had him blocked or something. No. Oh, see, I don't do it either, and I guess really we should. <laughs> oh, no, 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 this this was before. This this was before. Oh, this is way back when. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. No, I missed um, that. Anyway. Ugh. Uh, what I was going to say was, like, this sort of thing does really, really depress me. Like, it, I find it really sad. But then again, like, I I get depressed about the Joss Whedon Marvel thing when I found out it was an exclusive deal as well. So maybe I am oversensitive to these things. I didn't find that depressing as much as kind of uh, struck me as kind of a bad deal for everyone. I don't know. I don't oh, I think know. it's a great deal for Marvel. Uh, I think yes. it's a bad deal for everyone else, mm-hmm. unless they have literally just been like, "We will back up a tractor trailer of money every day to your house." Right. Now, who's uh, everyone um, else apart from Whedon? Am I missing some other participant in this? I think the audience, Jeff. Huh. Oh, okay, just checking. Uh, in which case, if Marvel does back up a money truck to my house daily, I really reconsider it. <laughs> but no, yeah, I know I meant I meant backing up the truck to Whedon. But um, yes. no, because I, I think that. I think that three years of exclusivity is mm. – it's weird. It's like – it feels like a really long time and it feels like it's basically pissing away the the cachet and the strength that he would have gotten from Avengers. If like – if ever there was a time for him to flex his muscles, it was this year. Mm-hmm. And it's really disappointing that he's flexing his muscles by signing that, that contract with Marvel. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. with Cabin in the Woods and Avengers and much to do about nothing. Right. It was like he's having a great year, and he's having a great year doing it all. Right. And for him, well, and right. mm-hmm. exclusive deal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for three years, it's just like, oh, so never mind then. Well, okay, he's probably having, you know, the money truck backed up to his house. That's yes. the first part. Second part is um, he's had a variety of. I don't know. He he just he hasn't had a lot of good luck in Hollywood, you know. I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous to say, but 
but technically when you hear some of his stories about some of you know some of the other horror stories he has for for screenwriting stuff or even directing you know everything is such a big part of what the corporations seem to you know it it just it boils back down to when you get to the point that like Christopher Nolan could not have had incept could not have made inception if he hadn't done the dark knight and kind of said you owe me like really what does cachet mean no but that's I mean? it he made inception he made he made inception well but, but but that's what i'm saying like you have avengers then you have some cachet afterwards to be like okay give me this fancy project because i've just made the third most successful film i ever made yes and from, of, from the same studio with a track record with them not from that's what i'm saying is this- sure but then whedon goes to disney Mm-hmm. No, that's what I'm saying is, is I just don't think that it, I don't think the game works like that anymore. Like uh, there was that um, really super long profile uh, in the New Yorker on Ben Stiller from like a month or so back talking about him making the, the dream life of Walter Mitty, which I have to say sounds awful. Uh, and he talks. I am stunned. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you that is your stunned voice. Uh you know, but he talks about how uh, it, at one point it talked about how he wanted to write and direct an adaptation of George Saunders' uh, Civil War Land in Decline. And he had managed to work out a deal where he was could have gotten gotten that made for like $15 million with him, Sean Penn, and I don't even remember who the third name is, like a, a pretty substantial name, not Steve Carell, because I think it probably would have gotten made then, but like another dude. And I'm like, you couldn't get that made? And he really was. He was like, I just got so tired of going out on the town with this project and not being able to get it made that I was like, OK, I guess I should really do what people want me to make, you know, and this is this. It it just stuns me like that. That piece is just filled with all these details about this guy who cannot, you know, who essentially is trapped in the cage of being Ben Stiller, you know. And what I think is, is that Joss Whedon, and I could be wrong, looked and was like, OK, do I want to direct like another fran- superhero franchise movie? Do I want to try it? Because I don't think I don't think people were going to be like, hey, yeah. Let's let you make Cabin in the Woods too. I don't. Th- I don't think that it really works that way. I think he was like, I will, you know, feather my cage at Marvel, and I will get the, you know, basically get in there as the biggest nine hundred pound gorilla that I can be, and, you know, they've treated me right so far, and they'll have to treat me right when I sign this deal, you know, and so I think he's his whole aspect is kind of not that when 2015 rolls around you know rolls around then he'll he'll be in a much stronger position to be like to go to disney or to go to marvel and like hey here's my passion project make it but i i think his feeling was that having just one even if, even if it's the biggest movie of the year, that doesn't really mean anything for these but guys. But it's not anymore. even the biggest movie of the year. It's the third biggest movie of all time, Jeff. Well, I know. And that's what I'm saying. It just doesn't mean much to people, though, anymore. I really honestly believe that. That's the part that, that depresses me. I don't think that 
I think Whedon made, I think, the smartest decision that he could make. But, like, people are walking around out there talking about the movies that they cannot get made, that no one will give them money for, and it sounds absurd. So I think he was like, you know, he does another three years, and then if he decides to go rogue, like, if he really does be like, well, the only way that I can get stuff made is by doing doing it on as low micro budget as possible and even doing it the way that I did Dr. Horrible, at least I'll have a lot more money to do that. You know? I still find that depressing. I, I know you're like, he's just being practical, but even that I find depressing. Well, I just find it depressing in that it's a, it's a truly sad state of affairs in Hollywood. Like that, that, that's that what town I'm saying. sounds just so amazingly fucked up in terms of, what it can and cannot make is it's it it boggles my mind you know um and that i find a little more depressing than all the other stuff now that being said i don't really think that um it bodes well for marvel uh and whedon that they went into this deal in that it suggests that that i think marvel's changed because you know they were uh, super blasé about John getting John Favreau back, you know, for Iron Man two, <laughs> or even any of the other films. You know, like they, Marvel has been so um, so stingy with its money and so unwilling to actually try and lock people down. Like the best thing that you've got going is you know with Robert Downey Jr. in order to get him into the Avengers. It sounds like they they cut him a really significant deal, but mm-hmm. you know. It sounds like they're starting to get to do that. So I, I kind of honestly think Whedon and Marvel, neither of them would have gone into this deal if they didn't feel that they were on the same page. You know? Well, we'll see. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, it's, I'm just like, uh, you know. Hey, it, I, I, I yes. completely interrupted you earlier. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about Archer and Armstrong. Oh, right. Archer and Armstrong. Uh it's a good first issue, considering I didn't know anything about any any of the characters. It completely reboot. Well, that's not true. Ironically enough, while having lunch with my friend John, he's been reading a bunch of old Archer and Armstrong comics and was completely agog when I told him the book was relaunching this week. He was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, didn't you know that? Isn't that why you're reading the old issues? He's like, no, are you just fucking with me? And so... <laughs> It's very nice to be in touch with someone who's even more out of touch with comics news than I am. But uh, so he told me a little bit about the basic gist of the the, the original series. I'm like, huh, that sounds kind of interesting. And from what I can tell, they kept the, the interesting aspect of it. It's just uh, Fred Van Lente does uh, a really strong, good job making the script – it does what a first issue is supposed to do. It sets up who the characters are. It sets up what the situation is you know, where the drama is in it. Uh, and it's got some good laughs in it. It really did do a good job sort of progressively turning up the heat on the uh, on the, the underlying satirical absurdity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Clayton Henry's art was was really good. It was really just clean and enjoyable and expressive. So. I, I've really enjoyed what I've seen of Clayton Henry's work. He did some um, Legion of Superheroes stuff back when Jeff Jones was writing it. And it was, okay. re- it yeah, was really nice. I've seen his stuff. Yeah, he's just got he's got that good clean line that uh, ex- is accentuated in this case with some really just very lovely crisp coloring in this. Which unfortunately I do not see the credits here. But uh, I, yeah, I liked it. It it I would have liked it 
a lot more at two ninety nine. At three ninety nine, I was like, uh, yeah, it's a problem. I have to say, I have really been surprised by how much I've enjoyed. Not so much Exo Man of War, which is just kind of not working for me, but um, mm-hmm. the new Harbinger and the new Bloodshot, Bloodshot especially. I oh, interesting. Was stunned. I enjoyed it so much. Well, you know, I I have to give them credit in in the sense of there is nothing as far as I can tell that ties this into the other books. It was just it was such a good level of quality that I kind of did find myself being like, I should try out some of the other books in the line. And frankly, by having such a slow rollout, it does make it kind of appealing. Like I could go back and catch the other, you know, like you said, like the book that sounded that you really like. I'm like, well, I could go catch, you know, both issues of that either in the store at Comixology without any real hassle. Yeah. You know? So I, I think, I think Bloodshot has a, I genuinely try the first issue of Bloodshot. Okay. It's, it's kind of one of those, you think you know what's going on, dun, dun, dun. and it's not even a complete story in and of itself, but it was mm-hmm. just enough to make me be like, huh, I did not see that final twist coming. I'm going to come back for the next issue. That's nice. Uh, yeah, that's... And Harbinger has just been, again, a very straightforward updating of the original series, but mm-hmm. just the execution is, is right on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing like how much that actually helps. Um, uh, I, I would be remiss. I mentioned, you know, Bakuman, uh, volume 13, which I, I loved and adored, but I have to say, um, Becky Cloonan does, you know, she's, she does the art on Batman issue 12. I mean, or I should say she does the art for the first 21 pages of Batman 12. And then the last six it, it's, pages. It's on the thingy, isn't it? Andy Clark? Yeah. Andy Clark. Just the same way that they have Snyder's, you know, it's kind of like they're like, okay, let's just make this one big story and we'll let the backup guys finish it up. And it's a little awkward. I mean, because it's such a difference in in artistic style. Mm-hmm. But uh, but man, I'd like to see Becky Cloonan draw some more Batman because it really is like the issue is like a done in one that's very much of the people in Gotham City who are affected by Batman you know, kind of thing. But I really liked how, even though there was a lot of it that I found kind of cheesy and maybe not so workable, uh, there was, there was enough of it that made me feel like Snyder's working really hard to think about Gotham as a city and how Batman would function in that city. Mm -hmm. Um, it was really enjoyable. And then when, when, so when Batman pops up after just being sort of talked about around the corners or not even really discussed, you sort of wait for that dime to drop. He shows up and he looks like he's, it looks like Paul Pope's drawing him. So it really was great. Um, I think Becky Clinton's a spectacular artist. She is. I absolutely think that as well. Uh, and here, I mean, she definitely works well with the, with the quieter stuff, but you know, um, but there's a great shot of the main character wandering around in the sewer tunnels that's just 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 perfectly and superbly designed. Um, and they don't. Where's the colorist? Did she color her own work? They don't actually. Oh no no no! Wait wait wait. Uh, yeah, FCO Placencia. 
is the colorist who I have not actually heard of and sounds a little pseudonym. Good old FCO Placentia. Ah, how well I remember the work. Yeah, exactly. Does a fantastic job with the colors, and I suspect that's probably Clunin or someone. someone, They split the difference. So uh, that was was quite good. I should also mention that I picked up a book that you you cannot uh, feel bad paying $3.99 for. Godland Book 36... The 36 issue, which is double sized, it is um, Tom Scioli being as Kirby as fuck with it. And it really is he and Casey, it's like the big last cosmic battle, and they do everything in their power to make it the most mind bendy comics issue ever. And it's kind of interesting, you know. As you may recall, I usually find Casey to be the weak point in, in well, pretty much everything that Joe Casey does, I suppose. Uh, but he really, there were a couple of points here where I was like, mm, he's not going to do this. And then he really did. Like his, his, he keeps moving back and back to the cosmic thoughts. Like this really is this battle for the nature of reality and, and trying to define what that means there's it's it's fascinating because he's got like tons of captions you know very much in that mighty marvel manner and some of them drop the ball some of them are too smart ass but there's also some of them that what's that have you gone again god oh no Can can you not hear me son of a bitch really fucking shit i can hear you now can you? Yes. You came what back the... just in time to say really fucking shit. Ah. Okay. I don't know what this whole thing is, but this, I have to say, is not a good thing. Like, we, I, I'm very spoiled for us being able to talk just all at a go, Graham. This, uh, this multi, like, what? Who? What? It's kind of frustrating. I don't think it's, I don't know. It must be my mic. I don't know what it could be. The microphone's like not. Well, can you keep hearing me? Well, you did quit, but you did sort of cut out. Well, I heard you when you were like, have you disappeared again? But I didn't hear you before. So. Huh. (sighs) You're like, huh? Anyway, Godland. It's if you get a chance to pick it up, don't don't pick it up digitally, by the way. Um, The number of double page spreads in it are. Awesome and really worth being read as a comic. I, I will one, probably get the collection because I haven't read Godlands in quite some time. Interesting. Well, I have to say, it was like I haven't read an issue of Godland since, I don't know, seven, eight, pretty much at the point where I gave up on it because I just realized I, I Joe Casey is, is not my thing. But, but you, you still dug it? Just went straight back in? I there. did. I did. I did. I felt like if nothing else... Uh, you know, maybe he's just slowly been getting better and better and better. But seeing the amount of work that fucking Tom Scioli put in to it, I think he felt like he couldn't fuck around nearly as much as he does. So he really works hard to bring it. Uh, and between the two of them, I mean, it's completely contextless. But as a as a loving recreation of a Marvel's 60 slash 70s psychedelic comic and attempt to make that somewhat relevant to us. Mm-hmm. It was actually, it was, it was quite good. It's quite good. It was, it was well worth, well worth the dosh as somebody says. I'm going to, because it, we've been talking actually for quite some time now. Uh, mm-hmm. I am going to wrap this up with one quick question. 
the Jeff, you don't even have to answer. Ooh. Is Tom Seoli the Herb Trimpey of the modern <laughs> age? <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> Listeners, sorry for our technical uh, problems. I feel like, um, unfortunately, we have these weeks where um, I just ramble and bramble and blamble. So maybe we'll get some judicious editing out of there to take out the potentially inflammatory bits. If this does not seem like an overly long episode to you guys, it's possible we took some stuff out. (laughs) Right. And if it doesn't sound especially coherent, even by our standards, there, there was some it's it's, it's worth pointing out. We could just like completely play that up. Like you could just come in and be like, "We had to cut something because we dropped the the sound." Yeah, exactly. I, I As opposed to trying to edit it together and and find that you know we're talking about one thing, then we're talking about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Do, have, have you listened to um, Kieran Gillen's podcast yet? No, no, I haven't. He, he, he does. He basically breaks into the podcast to explain things. Oh really? Uh, and you, you should just steal that. I I suppose I should. You should have just a little penny whistle noise like he does. And does he uh, have a penny whistle it's noise? Not really. It's like the like digital noise. Um, uh-huh. And then he's like, "But what I mean is this." Uh, but you should totally do that and be like, "And then the fucking microphone stopped working again." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, listeners, I may it, well. It's, it's been overdone. Mm-hmm. Maybe it, it has, maybe not for you. This is not us apologizing for the content for once, but really just technical difficulties has been a, made a weird one to record. Well, considering we started off talking about the world's most insane secret crossover. Uh, oh, no, but that's awesome. It was awesome, but a little unexpected. I don't think a lot of people were like, at last. It's true. So. Everyone who normally is like, why don't you guys start talking about comics more quickly? I feel like last couple of we've literally just started talking about comics. We've, oh, that last one. It was just like we, that. We've, we've not done the traditional, like, hey, what you been up to or anything. Yeah. No, we keep diving right in. Although the thing that's ironic is, I mean, I don't know how many of the people who listen to us actually dig up the show notes for the episode at savagecritic.com, but it's never been an easier time to uh, avoid Jeff and Graham talking about Jeff and Graham than than it is. We should totally do that next time, which is, oh, which is not next week, listeners. Next week is our skip week. Um, Yes. We're back two weeks from now. Exactly. So we'll be back two weeks from now, refreshed, caught up. I'll have done some research on my microphone and figure out what the fuck was going on there. Because um, uh, this is, but, but, you've seen but, that. Until then, listeners, mm-hmm. you have heard Jeff get mad. Many times. Oh, boy. Uh, well, do you want to sing us out then? Sing us out? <laughs> yeah, I think you should Bye. sing us out. <laughs> Wow, you even did it singy wise. That's perfect. You said sing. Come on. I know, and you did. It was great. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Golden, mellifluous tones. 